that's when we do our best work. That's right. <laughs> Just making it up as we go along. Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore and I'm so glad that you're joining us. We're recording this on Friday, February 19th. It is a lovely, sunny Friday afternoon. This is the kind of Friday afternoon I like. I would prefer it to not be in the midst of a pandemic and not with a foot of snow outside that makes it difficult to get down the street, but nevertheless, it's what we have. Joining me today are two lovely people, Bailey Perkins. Hello, ma'am. Hello, Andy. Hey, Scott. What is up? How are you? Two thumbs up as if everyone can see me. (laughs) Two thumbs up because the sun is shining, the temperature is warmer, and it looks like there is light at the end of the tunnel for us all. So all those things make it a good Yeah. And in lots of ways, right? Like this snow will melt probably in the next two or three days when the temperatures go back into the 50s, which is a relief. I think everyone's got some cabin fever. I know I do. How about y'all? Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's really interesting because this week has, I mean, this week has felt like a million years long for some reason. Like it's Friday, but I feel like, I feel like I had four Thursdays before it was Friday. Um, and Ashley and I were talking, in, I think last night about like, what, like, what is the deal? Like, and she had an insight, um, that I thought was really interesting. You know, we've all been like stuck in our houses for the last year, right? Like, you know, I mean, even if you're, even if you're going to work or, you know, I think most people are not living their normal lives for the last 12 months. Some people have been, and to those people, I don't really have anything to say to you <laughs> if you've just been like business as usual for the last year. Um, but what's different about this week um, is that our homes, which have been like our one safe place for the last year, right? Like your own roof with your own family, the one place you don't have to wear a mask, the one place that you don't have to distance, the one place that you don't have to do all those things. Like, our homes have been failing us in the last week, right? People are seeing their pipes burst, their heat not working, their homes flooded. And I think, I think that that added stress of like, I mean, I know I spent a good portion of Tuesday evening in the crawl space with a hairdryer, (laughs) um, trying to unfreeze a kitchen pipe, you know, like, um, I've been paranoid waking up three or four times a night. Like, is everything, (laughs) is the water still running in, you know, various places in my house. And so, I think I think that that's added a significant amount of stress that not just like the stress of the cold and the 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 strain on our homes infrastructure but also the like the one place that's supposed to be kind of like normal and stress free also this week was kind of pulled away from us if that makes any sense. Well and I think it's one thing to stay home because you know you should. It's another thing to be physically trapped inside your homes because it's too icy and snowy to get out, right? Then you don't have the choice. And even my mother-in-law lives a couple of blocks from us, and she uh, there's no, to the north of her is a high school and a parking lot, and it's wide open, right? And so she has an enormous snowdrift that goes across her street into her yard and driveway that's a little above two feet deep. And so I went over there yesterday to shovel out her driveway and she drives like a little Honda Civic and I, I have a Subaru and, you know, pretty outfitted for off-road stuff. And 
I had to take two or three passes to get out of the driveway. And so I got home and texted her and said, you can't leave. I'm sorry. Like your driveway's clean. You can move your car back and forth in a spot if you want to, but you will not be able to get out of the driveway. And she, I know she's just climbing the walls wanting to get out. So because of the weather, this was a weird week with the state legislature. They didn't meet for a good half the week. Um, and then they did stay late, like the Senate stayed today to have some floor proceedings and a few committee meetings. The House went in yesterday, but it was kind of a hodgepodge, which made it difficult to track some legislation. It also means they're probably like a day or so behind where they would like to be. And as we near the next, I guess the first real like deadline coming up here next, next Thursday, week, there may be some late nights next week. So next Thursday is the deadline for bills to be heard in the committees in the chamber of origin. Is that correct? Yes. So I feel like this is like the first big hurdle, right? Where like many bills just won't get heard and are thus mostly dead for this session. But, but importantly, they're not all dead. (laughs) They're both mostly dead. Only mostly dead. (laughs) Only mostly dead. Not all dead. Because you know what you do? You know what you do if they're all dead? You can go through his pockets and look for loose change. Oh, <laughs> and that loose change looks like committee substitutes and uh... <laughs> mostly dead is still partly alive. It's from the Princess Bride, Billy Crystal, classic moment. Yeah, no. So if uh, if bills don't get uh, if they don't if they don't get heard in the in committee right in their chamber of origin this week, then they should be dead. But they can always come back as committee subs. They can always be brought directly to the floor calendar. Leadership can do all kind of stuff with bills that they that they, for whatever reason, want to make sure get heard or get passed. So uh, so nothing is ever truly dead until Steiny die. Um, but but for the most part, for the most part, if a bill isn't heard uh, out of its committee by the end of next week, uh, its chances of passage diminish dramatically. There was one thing that happened this week, even though the legislature themselves uh, did not do a lot. There uh, was a meeting on Tuesday uh, by the State Board of Equalization, um, which is a very fancy group that sets, they they essentially tell the legislature how much money they think they will be available, uh, they will have available to appropriate for the next fiscal year. Uh, so that happened this week. And so uh, they think that uh, next year, the legislature, the legislature will have about 9.64 billion. Well, they think that the legislature will have 9.64 billion to appropriate this session for the next fiscal year, right? Um, um, that's that's an interesting figure. It's better than I think most people had thought. Uh, the economy looks better than we had anticipated at the beginning of COVID. Oil prices are a bit higher, um, so it's it's a it's a little bit rosier of an outlook than I think many people thought we would be facing. It's uh, non doc's got a great piece on it. It's so rosy that Speaker McCall and uh, Budget Chairman uh, Wallace in the House think that. We might even be able to do tax relief, guys. Not not tax cuts, mind you. Tax relief to the to those of us in Oklahoma that are so burdened by the excessive rate of taxation and spending of our state government. We might even get some relief from that this year. I I'll say what I've said before. Nobody wants to pay a dollar more in taxes than they absolutely have to, right? However, in my experience, this uh, so-called tax relief does not does not is not a windfall to the common man right 
right. someone someone benefits someone usually a corporation with hefty profit margins anyway however do you think as things sort out from the events of this week and the weather and all of that do you think that they will end up actually i guess do you think they'll actually do something to what are they gonna do issue refunds yeah, well, so I, I don't think that I, – I mean, I could be wrong. I haven't, like, talked to anybody. Um, I don't think that tax tax cuts will happen because uh, Chairman Thompson over on the Senate side, the Senate Appropriations Chair, uh, had a much more um, – oh, I don't want to say, like, pessimistic, but his outlook was, I think, a lot more um, measured. He said, you know, I feel really good about this fiscal year. I'm I'm – cautiously optimistic about the next fiscal year um he he seemed to think that the issue might not be fy like this coming fiscal fiscal year but the one after that and so given the given the immense hurdles that the legislature has to uh has to jump over in order to try and raise any revenue in oklahoma um i think it would behoove them not to be uh too aggressive in cutting it and that seems to be the tone that uh senator thompson is striking and I think that's going to be the direction the legislature will move because they have an opportunity to ensure that agencies don't receive budget cuts this session. We also can't forget that the legislature still has to find the mechanism to fund Medicaid expansion. And with all of the challenges that we faced with the pandemic, plus this ice storm, plus the economy still rebounding, there's going to be a lot of Oklahomans who may be eligible for Medicaid, right? And so the legislature is going to have to think strategically about how we put funds back into our rainy day, because we've had to use some of those funds to make sure that different cuts wouldn't happen to agencies you know, last session and during this um, hard season that we're facing. Um, because remember, like when it comes to federal relief with coronavirus dollars, we have to spend those dollars specific to coronavirus relief. We can't use those dollars to help us get ahead in the budget season. So I think it's a little too ambitious for any lawmakers to be thinking that there's opportunity to to make cuts when there's still a whole lot of need. I mean, we're still not funding uh, our, our core services at the levels that they need to be able to operate services optimally, right? And so what we bring in in revenue doesn't necessarily equate to addressing need. And so that's something that our listeners must consider and pay attention to, especially um, when the legislature do does what it usually does as far as dropping a budget bill in late April, early May <laughs> for us to look like. I was going to say, Bailey, do you think, do, do you believe that thinking strategically is is uh, in the, in the skill set that we usually see from the folks at 23rd Lincoln or or not really, because it does seem thinking strategically will be required, but my confidence that they'll make that happen is low. Well, the we have to connect that also back to the people, right? The legislature is responding to public will, public opinion. Uh, we're rolling into an election season, right? 2022, 
We'll have elections for governor. We'll have elections for our House representatives at the state and federal levels. We'll have a U.S. Senate election, right? And so lawmakers are going to lift issues and make decisions that align with things that they believe will elevate their base and, and get that support, right? And so I don't even think it's about rationality and strategy, but rather they're thinking for the moment. And I mean, we gather that from the state of the state, right? And the rhetoric of we need to focus on getting kids back in school. We got to focus on getting the economy up and going. We have to focus on, you know, so it's a lot of different things related to public perception, right? And not necessarily the long-term strategies on what helps us to build a strong budget that funds core services that makes us able to respond when there's a random winter storm that pops up or when a pandemic appears or when there's whatever happens in the economy that we can be responsive to it, right? Bailey, I have one I have a one sentence rebuttal. We don't need higher taxes, we just need more taxpayers. <laughs> Because Oklahoma's growing overnight. Everybody's just flocking to move to Oklahoma. So That's me just demolishing your whole argument. <laughs> right there. Uh, I, I do want to, I think Bailey said two things that are very important. Um, well, she said more than that, but I want to highlight at least one of them. And then I have another, more of a political strategery thought for you guys to discuss. D- discuss amongst yourselves. Uh, the thing that Bailey said is that yeah, the rainy day fund is very dry, right? It was up to a billion or almost $2 billion. And then a, a pandemic hit and the economy tanked and we had to use a bunch of it. And so there's only like 200 million or something left, which is, so this is ironic, I think in a couple of reasons, right? Because under the previous governor, Governor Mary Fallon, she built up the rainy day fund. And was very, and she touted it about midway through her term. And by the time she left, there was like hardly anything left in there, right? Like, um, and I mean, she inherited it and it was like $2 or something in the rainy day fund. And so we have plenty of evidence and I'm sure, okay, policy has a graph about this of the balance of the rainy day fund up, down, up, down. Right now it's down. And if it stays down, like if let's say we have, a few bucks left over at the end of the budgeting year and we decide to give it back to the taxpayers. And again, I would like to have a tax refund. However, that tax refund for each person is going to be like $20, but $20 times 2 million taxpayers or whatever is a lot of money. And that's, this is the beauty of taxes. If I can use that term is that it is a collective effort to pay for things that we all benefit from like roads and healthcare and defense and utility, you know, whatever it is. And so I'm willing to forego my $20. If it means that that money goes with your $20 and your $20 and all of our listeners, $20 and gets put into an account for the next time that we need it as a state and it will happen, right? Like that will happen. Secondly, that's, so that's the, that's the end of my money comment. I've got my new soundboard set up again, so I'm going to use these things. Uh, and then the other thing I was going to say, though, is politically, I wonder, and this is a, this is a generous, a loose reading of the tea leaves, 
But let's say the legislature comes out and the leadership says, you know, we're doing so good, we might get money back. Taxpayers, you might get money back at the end of the year if you play your cards right. It gets to the end of the year, they pass a bill to do that. And the governor, Governor Stitt, who is a big proponent of building up a bigger rainy day fund, right? If he's And then he vetoes that bill the year before he has to run for re-election. And then there's just like mailers that go out that basically say, Governor Stitt doesn't want you to have your money. Like it could, I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but I just see that as like, well, this is a, this is a deep read on what the, what the play is that they could be setting up. So I would say two things, Andy, that's an interesting proposition that you just raised um, about whether the governor would veto, uh, whether he would veto uh, a, a refund, essentially a tax tax relief in favor of putting money in the rainy day account. That's would be an, if 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 the legislature was interested in putting the squeeze on the governor, that would be an interesting way to do it. Um, um, but I think that you know when you talk about getting getting money back, and getting a tax refund of some uh, uh, of some kind, that's one of the things that's nice. I think about having a progressive tax system, right? Like where how much you pay is dependent on how much money you make, what your income is. Um, because we know that like there are people who make more money that can afford to pay more in taxes. And those same people could probably be able to go like those people could go, uh, could survive much easier without getting a tax refund, right? Like you mentioned a $20, a $20 refund. There are people for, for, for whom even a one-time $20 tax credit would be like, that would be a big deal. An extra 20 bucks in their bank account might mean like more gas they can get that month. That might mean, uh, it might mean more food they can buy that week. It might mean a prescription that they don't usually get filled that they can get filled. Like $20 can do a lot of different things. So, you know, if there is some sort of tax relief, I mean, I would think that maybe I, I would want to see it rather than like an across the board rate cut or a, a cut of the like business, you know, the business tax rate or gross production tax, or whatever. I would rather see like restoring the full refundability of the earned income tax credit. That would be to me like targeted tax relief that would really, really help the people um, who would be allowed to claim it. And that wouldn't, that wouldn't have any benefit for people who don't need it. Does that make sense? So like to me, if there is money for tax relief and I am 100% not convinced that there is, but if, if we're talking about tax relief of some kind, then something like making the EITC fully refundable would be would be the way to go, in my opinion. I concur. Let's um, given that it's a weird week, let's just do popcorn. Talk about a few different bills and notable things. So let's we'll popcorn from budget talks to booze. <laughs> so there was a bill this week um, that I believe passed out of committee, if I remember, House Bill 2122 um, that was run by Representative Marcus McIntyre, friend of the show, friend of the pod, and it would allow, um, it's it's called the Oklahoma Cocktails to Go Act of 2021. Basically, it would allow the uh, restaurants to sell drinks curbside. It could not be transported in the passenger area of a vehicle. They'd have to come out and put your old-fashioned in the trunk or some other place. They would also have to be, uh, you couldn't have third-party drivers, so you can't Postmates a Mai Tai. Um, you, I think, and then they have to also be sealed somehow, right? 
This is the way that it would work. Did you guys read this bill at all? I have not read that bill yet, but um, I saw the headlines and got excited about it because that is something that is prevented. So right now, the way it's set up is if you wanted to get a beer or wine, they can sell it to you whole, but it has to be closed bottle, can't be chilled, right? And so it has to be something that you can buy from Walmart, throw in your back seat, whatever. Um, but this will be something that's that's really different of being able to sell mixed drinks. There's a couple other weird things about this, though. So this bill, House Bill 2122, would only be in effect so long as there's a state of emergency in effect um, for COVID-19. So like, it's n- not... Uh, and it would only last for up to one year at most. So even if the state of emergency lasts for longer, it would only, once it becomes law, it would only last for a year. However, Senator Adam Pugh has also introduced legislation that would allow third-party delivery drivers like Postmates or Grubhub or whatever to, if they're 21 and up, for them to deliver alcoholic beverages. So potentially, I think you could at least get like wine delivered via Postmates, which would be handy right now because I'm short. I need some. Um, does anyone really believe that if we're going we are going to pass into law a a a statute that allows you to get booze to go and in a year we're just gonna let that shit expire? <laughs> right. Like come on I mean, come on. If it comes it's here to stay. Okay. Like it'll be the first freaking bill they pass next year. Well I think the rationale is to protect and help to boost restaurants because they generate a lot of money from alcohol sales. And if they aren't able to sell those cocktails and and beverages um, that they, you know, charge at a higher premium, um, then they're, they're losing, they're losing money in that way. And so I think it's more so related to, during the pandemic to ensure that restaurants can maintain the the revenue they're generating on a on a typical basis i mean after that i don't think there's going to be a lot of after this pandemic i don't think there's going to be a lot of people doing uh curbside and to goes i think everybody's going to try to be in every place trying to sit on every patio that they could possibly do <laughs> i mean i think you're i think you're right bailey i think you're right that everybody's going to want to go back but i would i would say i i disagree i think things like curbside to go i think that's here to stay because i think that there are i mean i know even i mean i love to go out to eat it's one of my favorite things but like there are some nights where it's like man i really want x y or z for dinner um but I don't really want to go sit at the restaurant. Like for my birthday in December, we went to a, we got never done this before, but we got like steak to go from one of the local steakhouses. And I got to tell you, it was kind of awesome to like sit in my pajamas at home, like with a delicious steak and sides and like a good bottle of wine that we'd picked up and enjoy this like awesome meal, but not, but like be at home. You know what I mean? Like that. And so I think that that's an experience that you're right, Bailey. Most people, I think everybody who is, is going to want to go back to back to being able to, to, to go to a restaurant and sit in a bar and sit on a patio and do all those sorts of things. But I think there will still be a market 
for to go because people have gotten so used to it. And so now it's an expectation. It may not be the way it is now where that's like 50% of restaurant sales or whatever, but it's kind of, I think it's kind of like zoom, right? Like, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, a, a year ago, if we'd had this snowstorm a year ago, my office would have closed on Monday and Wednesday. I would not have seen any patients. Uh, but this year, right. Having nothing to do with COVID my office closed on Monday and Wednesday. And I saw 20 patients, right. From, from my desk at home, because we have that, that we have that ability now and that's the expectation and it's not going away. So I think that even when COVID is over, I just think, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I think it's kind of like the medical marijuana thing, right. Or like, like if you, once it, once it's legal, like it's here to stay if we, and I, and I, I'm fine with the bill. I don't think, you know, there's the trackers I think who say that it encourages drunk driving or drinking under the influence or driving under the influence. I disagree. I think if people are going to drive drunk, they're going to do that. Whether you tell them that they can, <clears throat> where they can get a, a to go, if they can't get a to go cup at a restaurant, they're going to take a beer with them when they leave the house. They're going to make their own to go cup. Like people are going to drive drunk, drive drunk. Like they're not going to go do a $13 curbside. My time. Yeah, yeah. So I just think, I just think it's it's just funny to me that that it's like, and I I bet I have not asked uh, Representative McIntyre, but I bet if you put a truth serum in Representative McIntyre, uh, he would say, yeah, I I put the one year in there so it'll pass. But no, once it passes, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> That's probably true. We uh, man, now we're just talking about this, and I keep thinking about the jalapeno. Uh, margaritas at Revolution, and I may have to pitch that to my wife as a <laughs> dinner option tonight. <laughs> All right, um, another bill that actually was brought to what well, was on my tracking list, but uh, one of our listeners, uh, James Craig, tweeted at us about this bill, House Bill Ten Sixteen, um, which would have eliminated straight party voting. Um, and that, of course, failed this week in committee. Um, and so the the conversation, I guess, is why. And uh, it was it went to a, a new one of those new committees that was reactivated this year, the like ethics and election committee in the House. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's only a five member committee, so it failed on party lines. But it, Representative Munson is the only Democrat, and then there's four Republicans. Um, Bailey, what's your two cents on why you think this went down? There's just no incentive to change it, right? It benefits whatever party is in power. And so it doesn't matter whether it's Republican or Democrat. Um, If roles were reversed and this was 20 years ago, Democrats would have fought straight ticket voting. Uh, But the reality is that it hurts our democracy because it doesn't give, well, it creates the means for people just to pick any and everybody versus picking those who specifically align with their views, taking that due diligence to learn about candidates and get to know them. Um, Honestly, if we had something like ranked choice voting, Mm -hmm. then straight ticket voting wouldn't even be an issue in the first place, right? Because now you're voting for candidates based on your top choices rather than just party affiliation. And so I I remember working during a uh, primary election at the polls and people were looking for, um, I'm sorry, not not, not primary election, but um, no, no, it was a primary election. It was a primary election, I'm right, um, to where people were looking to vote straight ticket because they're like, I just want to vote straight ticket. And it's like, well, 
you have to pick among the people within your party <laughs> of who you want to advance to represent your party, right? And so it just takes that step away from the public to have that critical thinking, to think about who is the best candidate and not necessarily who just aligns with a political affiliation. Um, we're beginning to see now more of a spectrum of the Republican Party. And because particularly in the legislature, they have such a supermajority, you'll see a greater range and faction of beliefs within the Republican Party. And so typically Democrats are seen as the big tent party of having you know, a wide range of beliefs, um, but we'll see that from Republicans as well because there's um, such a, a majority in control and there's a majority in registration. And so, um, I don't think there's an incentive for that policy to change in the election process. I think if it's if it will change, it would have to be by a vote of the people. And even then, I don't know that enough Oklahomans uh, are are passionate enough to say, "Yeah, I want to get rid of straight ticket voting." Yeah, I th I think. You said it spot on in, in your opening statement there that there is no incentive, right? And I think this is an important thing for everyone to remember, like about how legislation happens is that generally there is some kind of incentive for the person running the bill and for people to vote for it, right? What are they going to gain? It's not always, doesn't mean they're going to get money from it, but like that there is some advantage that they or their or their party can get. And you're exactly right. Democrats controlled the Oklahoma state government for a hundred years. And this was on the books the whole time. and didn't do anything right. Um, because it benefited them. And I've even had Democrats tell me like, you know, don't, don't get rid of it because we need whatever we can get. Some people do vote democratic and vote straight party. Um, but I think the general sentiment, and I believe this is increasing. I haven't, I don't have the recent polling data on this to say for sure, but um, as we have an increasing number of independent voters or non-affiliated voters, things like straight party make less sense, right? And in some ways are discriminatory against people who choose to not affiliate with one party or the other. And in fact, this is a good time to plug. Um, here coming up in a week or two, um, there's a, a nationwide organization, Open Primaries. It's openprimaries.org. And I, we may have had, I think we've had John Opdyke on the show before, but there is um, going to be, it's on Wednesday, the 24th, this coming Wednesday um, at 1230 Central Time. Uh, they are having a, a Zoom panel discussion called The Rise of Independent Voters. And Oklahoma City Governor, or excuse me, Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt will be one of the panelists on there. And so I'm very interested to tune in because I think it's an interesting topic as an independent voter myself, and also to see what Mayor Holt has to say. Um, you know, we're used to him being on the national stage for lots of reasons. This is a, a rare glimpse into him being, well, not partisan, because it's really about independent voters. I mean, he is a Republican. I think we all know that, but um, it'll be really interesting. So if you are interested in tuning in uh, to that, you can find it on openprimaries.org. I somewhat intend to send out an email to everybody this weekend with a link to it as well. So hopefully you're on our email list. Well, I'll say um, in other news, we learned that it's not a good idea to travel while your state is in the middle of an ice storm. 
Yes, we did, Bailey. Yes, we did. And and then and particularly not blame it on your children after you uh, get caught. So one of the big news buzzes this uh, week was the state of Texas, as everyone knows, has been devastated by the recent ice storm that has hit. Texas is on a different system as far as its electric grid. So for Oklahoma, it's a part of the Southwest Power Pool uh, electric cooperative that has about 17 states, I believe. I think it's like 15 to 17 states, but 17 million people all um, receive their power um, through this massive electrical grid. Texas has their own system that has independent electric businesses that help operate depending on where you live. Um, and their systems were overwhelmed because we had record freezing temperatures. Um, for Oklahoma, it's colder than it has been in a century. So those negative 20 degree wind chills are something that we haven't faced since 1899. Um, and there was snow on the beaches of Galveston, right? Um, there's rarely anything cold when you get to the coast um, near Texas, right? And so there were many people who weren't prepared because how can you be if, if those weather occurrences rarely happen? I know a lot of folks move to the South to get away from cold temperatures, right? Yeah, I mean, there's like there's 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 like five inches of snow or something in San Antonio, Texas. Um, I went to college in San Antonio, Texas. They got a half an inch of snow, like it could it, it barely covered the parking lot. And uh, this was in two thousand and uh, like four, I think two thousand three. Um, I had friends; it was the first time they ever seen snow. Right? I was sitting here just like, y'all. It's like it's gonna be gone in like three hours. And they're like, you guys, let's build a snowman. And it was like. Oh, Texans who've never seen snow. Anyway, I didn't mean I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, I just think it's a, it's a you know your point about like not it's like yeah they weren't prepared, but they they weren't prepared for something that like should they never, never experienced in their life. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. this this is stuff that people in Alaska or North Dakota or New York often face, and they have the infrastructure in place to manage these type of weather occurrences. Um, and for Oklahoma and Texas, that's just not what we have to deal with on, on a, a regular basis. And so we saw uh, people lose power for days. I know my sister was among those. She had just moved to Texas and a, a really nice home and the house had no power. She had to put my niece in three layers of shirts, three layers of pants, and then two layers of blankets and sit her next to, you know, a generator just to make sure that my niece could not freeze in their home. Um, and that's just on, um, you know, the shallow end of experiences that have happened. There are people who had to ration their oxygen. Um, there are folks who didn't have running water in their homes um, and grocery stores had to throw away lots and lots of food because they were being wasted, right? So you have all of those different circumstances happening uh, throughout the state of Texas. And then the U.S. Senator decided to take their kiddo on a vacation to the Ritz-Carlton for a weekend getaway to get away from the winter elements. And so needless to say, it was out of touch and 
a reflection of privilege to be able to say, I'm going to go to a $309 a night hotel to get away from the elements and the poor weather that some people had no choice but to weather it. So as a leader of a state, because when you're a U.S. senator, you're regarded as one of the top leaders of your whole state. You know, it was just such a bad look to make that decision and thoughtless um, for you, the 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 well-being of your constituents to make that decision. Yeah, I agree. I, I've enjoyed uh, Twitter about it, though. Lots of good, funny takes. And I it reminds me of like a return to back when Twitter was able to poke fun at, at things um, without everyone feeling like the world was totally burning, which is ironic considering while well, the world's not burning, but it was definitely frozen. And even on, uh, even on TikTok, like the, I, well, I guess I saw it on Twitter, but it was someone posting a TikTok video that people were making about, you know, floods happening from burst pipes and stuff. And I was reminded that it is a, it is a, it is a horrific situation and is, it has legitimately cost people's lives. Um, B, I'm always heartened when people can find some joy or humor in the midst of very dark circumstances. Um, and so I was like, well, maybe humanity isn't all the way lost. Well, especially because there was, I think, across political perspectives, people scratching their heads like, ah, that wasn't the best of ideas and the meme generations and things like that. So I would say, and the number of things that Senator Cruz has said in the past that were like turned on him, right? Like the old adage that there really is a tweet for everything. And the number of times he has spoken out about other members of Congress not being present in situations, it was just the pot calling the kettle black, I guess. Absolutely. And it's, it's a reminder that, especially when it comes to weather occurrences, that, you know, what you say can come back to bite you. Um, there were people from, I believe it was New Jersey, that had a tweet that said, remember that when there was a weather disaster in our area, the senator voted against funding. And so now he's in a place where he has to ask funding for his state, right? So those things always come back full circle. And so it's another reflection that um, when you're governing and you're making decisions, you're not making decisions just on behalf of your district and your area, but it's behalf on behalf of the entire state or on behalf of the entire country. So when it's time for your area to experience that thing, you know, you got to be ready for it, right? So it's... Yeah. Well, and even um, Governor Stitt being in New Mexico, like the fact that both of these two states that are so close together got hit with the same storm and senior leadership, we'll say, right, from both states went somewhere else was just like, I think, left the people of Oklahoma and Texas scratching their heads being like, come on, man. Like, and I'm sure that, well, at least with Governor Stitt, I'm based on the timing. I'm sure it was pre-scheduled and, you know, maybe he already went out there. But Senator Cruz is just like, oh, yeah, they, well, my daughters were tired of being cold for two days. And so we left. And I was like, buddy, we're all tired of being cold and we don't all have the resources to drive to the airport and fly to another country. Like it was just, it's just. And I will say, I'm grateful that the governor was publicly talking about reaching out to the administration to seek support and help 
and being open to that and also expressing appreciation for that partnership of the federal government sending resources for, you know, the emergency declarations. And so that's definitely a different touch than the the messaging from the state of the state, but it is good to see that bipartisanship and different levels of governance, you know, being able to come together to meet the needs of people. And so at the end of the day, the ice storm didn't care whether you're Republican or Democrat. It was about Oklahomans getting help. <laughs> and so um, I will say that it was definitely a golden moment to be able to see him have those phone calls, talk with the president um, and get that assistance to Oklahomans in need. That's right. And you know, once you see the governor in that windbreaker with the logo on the side, you know, business is getting done, right? Like, <laughs> I, I would like to be a statewide elected official for no other reason than just for the athleisure wear that they get to wear. Like, how do they get all of a sudden everyone has these windbreakers whenever there's a natural disaster? I will say that is part of his branding as a leader is, is making it cool to be a leader, right? And so um, that more casual look to feel relatable to the people is something that he's definitely uh, bringing to uh, uh, this administration. It's funny you say that because I guess in 2019, I remember being at the Capitol one day for, I was getting set up for one of our Capitol days and the governor was there. He came out to talk to somebody and he just like had on jeans and his boots and a shirt and like had a jacket over his arm, but it was, he was very dressed down. And I was like, it's like a Tuesday at nine o'clock. Like this is normal, like pretty peak business time. And it was just a unexpected sight uh, to see the governor just wearing jeans in the rotunda there. Yeah. I know one thing that Oklahomans faced um, in this, so we talked about Texas, but there were Oklahomans who experienced some um, power outages during the initial um, quick moments of the, um, oh, how was it described? The the rolling, um, rolling blackouts. The rolling blackouts. That was a big controversy this week. Uh, but SPP and OG&E were able to find ways to um, avert that from continuing to happen during the week. Um, but it did definitely cause a lot of conversation about why are we asking residents to do all of this conservation and not asking other entities like our sports teams <laughs> to also have that same, you know, community mindedness about protecting the grid. And so those are some interesting dialogues through the week that I'm glad that we are um, able to um, start the process of getting past because it seems like the uh, electric grid is stabilizing, but it's also raising conversations. So connecting the dots to our earlier conversation about the budget, it takes money and investment to ensure that our electrical grids um, have the um, supports that they need to build that infrastructure to um, ensure that we don't have the experiences that we had over the past week and a half. And so hopefully this will renew motivation and build political will to invest um, those federal dollars into the infrastructures necessary to make sure we maintain our power. We all knew that our power grid was weak um, and, and susceptible to attacks. And as it turns out, Mother Nature lodged a heavy attack on us. 
Speaking of the environment, we have one last story to talk about tonight. Uh, and that is our dear friend, former EPA chief, Scott Bruett. Uh, earlier, I guess last week, his portrait was unveiled uh, at the EPA. And uh, e News, which is, I think, a division of Politico, actually has a lengthy story about it, in which Scott Pruitt <laughs> regales the story of when he had to talk down President Trump from uh, shutting down the EPA entirely. He says, quote, as I've looked at the mission of the agency, I recall very distinctly when I went to Trump Tower, when I met with the president-elect at the time, he asked me a question. He said, Scott, should we shut down the agency? Which is, <laughs> in hindsight, given everything we know about the Trump presidency, I suppose that's uh, pretty par for the course. But uh, nonetheless, it's like slightly terrifying that they were just deciding to shut down uh, or debating whether or not to shut down the Environmental Protection Agency. If for no other reason than like the massive loss of jobs alone, not to mention like the undoubtable horrific impact it would have on not like not just the climate and the in the environment, but on like drinking water and medications and food and all of these things we deal with all the time. And if had that had happened, and then we've got a pandemic a few years later, gush golly, what a what a rough time. They make such important recommendations because even our state level version of the EPA. Um, the DEQ, DEQ, yes, um, made recommendations yesterday about the drinking water in Oklahoma City uh, for those who may have experienced um, interruptions in the flow of their water, right? Yeah. Um, they're the ones who are uh, doing the testing, making the recommendations to ensure that we're safe. So it's more than just talking about climate change. They do important work that saves lives to ensure that we're not taking in anything that's contaminated or that we know what's going on around us in our lands, in our water, in our environment. Um, and I wonder if there was even a plan on where to rehouse some of the important work. And I bet you that wasn't even thought of, of making sure that those important elements were placed in another agency. And I don't even know what agency would be able to take over uh, the task and the responsibilities that the EPA covers. And so it's more than just oil and gas and um, gas emissions into the air. It, it's all kinds of things that ensure that we can breathe and drink and do the basic things that we need to do safely. Right. That's exactly right. On the positive note, they didn't shut it down. Old Scott Pruitt came through and told Trump, nope, we should keep it. And that is somewhat unexpected, and I appreciate it. We shouldn't let it do anything, but we should keep it. That's right. Let's not shut it down entirely. Let's just dismantle it slowly so I have a job for a few years. That was probably the, the calculus there. All right, folks. That brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for being here. Bailey, thank you for joining us today. Of course. Thank you, Andy. Dr. Melson, thanks for being here. Yes, sir. Listeners, thank you as well. Uh, over the next week, we'll be looking forward to the committee deadline next Thursday. Uh, and hopefully next week's episode, we'll kind of give a little recap of 
where we're at. And I assume we'll have some idea of how many bills are mostly dead and what we're down to for the rest of the year. All right. On that note, have a good weekend. Stay warm and be safe. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Oh, 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 oh,